Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. So anyway, I am just so thankful, but th- this is, and, and you have to understand my heart, that, you know, we, we kind of joke about money, um, it's, it's funny, as people, even when you're out of money and you need some money, you kind of make a joke about it and stuff, but this isn't actually, it, though humor can be used, this is real stuff. This is real life, and money's a real issue for people. Provision's a real issue, and I love the way Father takes care of his kids. That's why we pray this prayer. I love the way he takes care of us. Dan, you do have your hand. Sure, if you want to. As long as we get somebody that knows how to turn that mic up or on, or you got it? I'm looking at the wrong person. You got it. Incognito sound man right in the middle of the congregation there. <laughs> um, so we haven't been able to tell this story for a little while because we thought we would keep it a secret. But um, so Lodi was doing his series a few months back and, um, <clears throat> you know, talking about how it's God's will for us to be debt-free and everything. And uh, if I can just be brutally honest, because of our level of debt, my heart was very just, like, hard towards it. I'm like, whatever. Yeah, I don't, okay. Yeah, God wants us debt-free. Well, how come I'm stuck paying only, only able to pay all these minimum balances and, ah, you know, just, like, really uh, had racked up some debt, just uh, some credit, some medical, some dental, some student loans, you know, just... And, uh, but anyways... Near the end of Lloyd's teaching, um, I was like, you know, not wanting to hear of it, sick of, sick of hearing it. And, um, but I stepped out in faith just going like, all right, God, like, if this is you, like, we're just going to believe for it and have your way. Cancel my debt. Fine. Whatever. And just kind of, you know, one of those half-faith prayers. Half-faith, not half-faith. Anyways. Um, <laughs> so I get a uh, text from my wife. Hey, come right home today after work. I got some amazing news. I'm like, okay, cool. So come home. And um, so it's a weird, random story. Her mother passed four years ago. Well, four years before that, she had a boyfriend who passed, and nobody knew this, but he had a life insurance policy that was in her mother's name. And so eight years ago, because of a tragic story, um, basically this thing was never claimed. And so her dad gets a phone call from the Treasury of State of Missouri saying, um, I'm looking for Alana Arthur, her mother. Well, she's passed. Oh, well, does she have children? Yes, she has three daughters. I'm like, what's, you know, what's going on? And um, so anyways, to make a long story short, there's lots of cool little details and, you know, God speaking kind of things through it. But um, there was a $432,000 life insurance policy that got split three ways between the three sisters. So out of... Nowhere, you know, me, you know, working, you know, I had a good job, I was making good money, but literally we were paying, you know, not going anywhere, just spinning wheels, paying off interest every month, not able to save, living check to check. So in one foul swoop, we get a check for $144,000. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so credit card is paid off, medical bills paid off, dental's paid off, student loans paid off, cars paid off, houses paid off. Glory to God. It's an amazing, it was a life changer for us. So thank you, Father, for being such a good daddy. Amen. Amen and amen. So would you stand with me and join with me in this prayer? It's a declaration prayer. Some prayers are intercession where we're asking this is more of a declaration prayer and it's a statement of what we're believing God for I'll do the first part and then we're going to do it together and the reason we do it together and actually have you speak it out loud is there I believe there's a powerful spiritual principle in this is that we believe and therefore we speak and when we speak things we're not creative in the sense of God but we are speaking faith to one another as we hear it and we're telling God out loud and telling our own souls this is what I believe that you have for me so this morning we thank you Father God 
for our salvation through your son Jesus and the promise he gave in the new covenant for the abundance of life. We believe and receive your grace and provision and thank you for meeting all of our financial needs that we may have more than enough to live and share with others through the gospel of grace. We'll start with today. Today, we believe you for the promise of blessed provision in new jobs and promotions at work, for estates and inheritances, interests, dividends, and unlooked-for income, for rebates and returns, for checks in the mail, gifts, surprises, and found money, for bills paid off, bills decreased, and debts canceled. And we receive all of these through the blessings and increase you bring that we might spread the good news of your kingdom. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We're not the only ones that pray this prayer. If you knew how this all came about that we started doing this, it's probably a sermon in itself, but it was found on a on the floor of a Walmart when somebody had a great need and it was dropped by somebody else in this congregation in that Walmart and they, they actually didn't even know each other that well. And it's a prayer that another fellowship had been praying and it's a prayer that comes from Bethel in Redding, California and they do a variation. They have three different blessing prayers that they've been utilizing and doing this and God's been blessing them and doing it. So I believe in it, and uh, I urge you and, uh, to just try it during the week, too. Over your own, you know, if you and your, and your loved ones are struggling, get out your finances. Lay hands on them. You know, is that, it's not magic, but it's just an emphasis point. Lay hands on them and speak blessings over them, you know. And uh, don't curse the people that you're indebted to. Release blessing to them. Release blessing to them that the blessing might return to you. Well, we're on a, we're on a quite a few-part journey. Next week, we're going to do a special Father's Day service so, and uh, have some different people sharing. And so we'll take a break then. But we've on, been on a journey of exploring the benefits of the new covenant. That it sounds like a strange word, strange language. Uh, it's language I use that I actually stole from Psalm 103. Uh, a prophetic psalm which says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and, and forget not all his benefits. And then he starts listing out what those benefits are. So, you know, benefits today mean something a little bit different than I think when they were speaking of benefits. We think of work and the different various things that you get just besides the money that your employer gives you. Um, And yet it's a word that works with that also. And we know this, that benefits, like a bank account that's forgotten, just sits there. And if it's not utilized, not taken in, it just sits there. It doesn't change it. It doesn't make it go away. Listen, there are so many benefits that God gave us with the new covenant that just lay there dormant in our lives because we don't explore them. We don't go after them. We don't engage with them. And like children at Christmas time who get a gift, you don't know what the gift is if you never open it. If you don't explore it, find out what it is and do that. So these are benefits that, if you will, these are biblical truths. They don't go away whether, matter of fact, even if you don't believe them, doesn't change them. But believing is something that engages with the truth in our hearts that actually brings change, transformation in our body. So here's what I'd like to do this morning because of what we're looking at and what the next benefit is. Would you pray with me right now, just over the teaching, and we're going to ask God for something very specific. Ask him to reveal to you his love, that you would experience it. So will you pray with me? Lord, we just uh, come before you and now settle our hearts after you hear all these good things that you do. I pray for the revelation of Jesus Christ for each of our hearts right now. 
I pray for the revealing of the love of God to each heart that's in here. That beyond the weakness of human words and human understanding, that you, Father, would reveal your Son to us again. And that Holy Spirit, that you would make truth known. Oh, we would know you. You who dwell in us, we want to know and understand more. So bring understanding to our hearts and we receive what you bring. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, this is new covenant benefit number six. And by the way, these are gonna be, I'm gonna, I've been listening to people's feedback and I'm gonna make these available on the website that will go with the teaching. It'll be recorded so if you miss something or if these slides go too fast, I've been watching people take pictures of the slides as they were up there with their smartphones, which is also now their Bible. They're much more than a phone. And uh, just looking at these, so I, I went, well, for those who didn't get the, didn't have their phones with them or click them, we'll just have them on the website and you can look at them there because I want you to explore this. I want you to increase. I want you, you know, the, the spiritual disciplines are this. If you want to interact with the Lord a whole lot more, get into studying his word. Something happens in the human heart that goes beyond the knowledge. But knowledge is good. Look at this this morning. So I've got, uh, there's five scriptures up there. We're going to look at a couple of them in detail. But look at all these throughout the weeks. Because this is new benefit number six. We experience the love of God. That's a new covenant benefit. We experience the love of God. Now, I'm not just talking about experiential Christianity that you, you know, and we've seen all levels of that from one extreme to the next. And some of it, I think some of us have scratched our head and gone, what? I don't think I want to experience that kind of love. But uh, so I'm not just talking about a Holy Spirit experience, but actually the experience of the love of God to us. The reason it's a new covenant benefit is this the differentiation of the role of the Holy Spirit. And what happened with Jesus coming to the earth dying and then raising from the dead and then him choosing to live in human flesh, you and I. By the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is the difference. Old covenant, the Holy Spirit would come upon people, is how it's described. David would have the Holy Spirit come on him. That's why he prayed that prayer in the, in the psalm. We read that, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He didn't want him to lift off. He didn't want him to lift off. The Holy Spirit even fell on Saul. Old King Saul, you know, they experienced the Holy Spirit in that way. But you see, here's a new covenant benefit. He doesn't come upon us. He's in us. In you and I. It's kind of, it's kind of a mind-boggling thing when you think about it. God dwelling in human beings. Only God could come up with an idea like that. The limitless God comes inside of a limited being. It's stunning, isn't it? But that's how we experience the Holy Spirit today. So we're going to look at that a little bit. Can we look at the next slide? In order to understand this, we need to go into a thing, and I, I wrestled a little bit with how to explain this to people, because... Really, in explaining to experience God's love, um, I, I read, read one other writer who said this and was quoting somebody in his congregation who said this, oh, you've got to be a Christian to believe this stuff. He's right. <laughs> you have to be a Christian to believe this stuff. Because... If you're a Christian, it means you're right with God and the Holy Spirit dwelling in you can reveal stuff to you, including his love. And it's extremely important for you. Because here's the thing, the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you to make you right. 
You know that, right? The three of you are shaking your head with me. The Holy Spirit doesn't live in you to make you right. The Holy Spirit lives in you because you are right. When you receive him, you know, and I know people go, you keep saying the same thing over again. It's because we get stuck on this issue. When you received God's plan of salvation for you, you were made righteous. That allows the Holy Spirit to dwell in you because he is righteous. He would not live in an unrighteous vessel. So the Holy Spirit's not there to make you right. The Holy Spirit's there because you are right with God. Does that make sense? It's, really, it's a really important concept because it's a new covenant concept. And there's a lot of teaching out there that says, no, well, he's coming and he's, he's getting you prepared to be right with God. No, when you received Jesus, you were made right with God. He imparted righteousness to you. And now the Holy because of that, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. That's what it means to be born again. Describing this, let me go back. Let me say one more point with this. Unless you are right with God through the act of salvation and receiving his redemption, now this is a really strange, another strange concept because we, we try to talk to people about the love of God all the time. But you really can't know the love of God. You go to John 3, and I didn't put that scripture down. When Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he starts talking to him about, hey, you must be born again. And he says, for two things. He says, you can't enter the kingdom without being born again. But then he says something else. You can't even see the kingdom. He said, you can't have an understanding of it without being born again. But we spend most of our time, trying, when we do interact with unbelievers, we try to, get, try to tell them God things that are incomprehensible to them. Even when we say to them, it's not wrong, but you see, saying to somebody who doesn't know the love of God, God loves you, you know what they do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that. It's the old, yeah, I know that. Do you guys do that? I do that. I'll read something in the Word or something else. Somebody, well, most of the time when I read what other people post, I go, no. <laughs> I just, I got off Facebook. Not a good place to work out people's theology. <laughs> or their doctrines or their traditions. I, I want to go, really? No, unfollow. Really? No, unfollow. Well, you're narrow. Yeah. There's a lot of wacky stuff out there. (laughs) Describing to people about the experience of the love of God is mixed in. This is why it's mysterious, because it has to do with faith. Faith is a mysterious thing. We talk about it, we describe it, we even define it with the word of God And yet, faith is an experiential thing, isn't it? Or sometimes it's not. Think of Dan's testimony. He had about that much faith for that. I don't even know if he had that much. I wonder if what he said about my teaching applies to all my teaching all the time. (laughs) And you all are just nodding at me because you like me a little bit. And you're going, oh, brother, better go study that out. you ever been talking to somebody and you say I know God loves me and then they say to you how do you know that and you struggle with words to be able to explain to them how you know that it's a mystery isn't it it has something to do with with that knowledge thing that God comes, comes in but here's the thing Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. And when He dwells in you, He starts to reveal what's true about Him. About Him, and about Him in you, and about you in Him. 
And he starts to reveal things to you. So this difference between what I'm going to call knowledge versus knowing is describing it centered in part of the issue of faith. It's really, you know, I I don't think it's so much this. I've heard that Christianity is confusing. I don't think it's confusing. I think it's mysterious. And it's supposed to be mysterious. If it was so simple that we could have a diagram and say, you know, we tried, do you remember the Romans Road stuff? We tried that with Romans Road. With, some of you know what I'm talking about. It was a methodology used to try to evangelize other people. Okay, point A, point B, point C, point D. Now you're a believer. And they're going, mm, just because I said some words that you said I should say? And now all, oh, you know, and I'm going. When I came to the Lord, I didn't have that occurrence. I didn't have anybody lead me to the Lord. It was just me and the Holy Spirit in a weird track that had the four spiritual laws, Romans Road. And I didn't have any Christian background other than I had a, this kid couldn't understand any of it. And I went to Methodist Youth Fellowship because girls were there. <laughs> How many guys got evangelized by girls? So I didn't have, but I didn't have like a mother and father who taught, I didn't read the Bible, I didn't know anything. So when I got saved, I read that stuff, I went, oh. You know, and it had the steps and it said, confess your sins. Well, that took me all night long. I don't know about you, but I like to sin. I did a lot of it. (laughs) At the time, I even found it enjoyable. Until it started, you know. Turning into not fun stuff with sinning, like beating up a guy's fist with your face. And you've got to be quick on the uptake this morning. (laughs) There's a mystery about it. You see, knowledge is about an awareness of something or someone. You can read it in a book. I read it in pages. And I had an, I went, huh, could this be true? I'm going to take a chance here. This might be true. And so I'm going to pray what it said I should pray. So I had a knowledge. But then something else happened. Knowing is about experience something or someone. Now, I can't define it for you. I can sort of describe it to you. But when I came to accept Jesus as my Savior... Something dramatic happened in my being. I experienced the presence of God and felt love for the first time in my life. Felt what it was like to be loved. To actually, I was like, I was blown away. And because I like believed all that stuff about the, the sin stuff and everything, I could, when I was laying on the bed and I wasn't tripping, this was, and it wasn't a flashback. I thought I was going to float off the mattress. I can remember grabbing the bedpost going, oh my gosh, is this going to last all night? It did. I finally floated into the shower and got ready for work early. At least that's what it felt like. You can't go on feelings. Well, you can some. Because I know people that have had a Christian life with no feelings attached. And let me tell you, they're normally bored and frustrated. So feelings, and, the, and that feeling comes from knowing. I know. Now you can gain knowledge, but here's what happens. You mature in your knowing. The knowing God is what matures you. You experience life and then he interacts with you. And you start knowing. The best way I can describe the difference is I'm going to read how somebody else described it. Who wrote an incredible book. Uh, This is called, the, the book is titled The Rest of the Gospel. And I know I'm always throwing books at you because I believe this. If you study and gain knowledge, the chances of you gaining knowing is greatly enhanced. Greatly enhanced. It's why we practice what's called spiritual disciplines. Reading the word of God. Reading about what God has done. It gains in us and through that there's a connection with the knowing. So this is what Dan Stone wrote. And uh, uh, 
I really encourage you to get that book. It's called The Rest of the Gospel. We have a small group that's doing a study on it and, uh, and base their small group on that stuff. So in describing this knowing, he said a few years ago, a friend told me how he finally discovered by revelation, experientially, that he had been crucified with Christ. It was a shock to me because I had known this fellow for several years and we had batted these truths back and forth repeatedly. I thought he already knew that he had been crucified with Christ. But his own confession to me was, no, I didn't. I really didn't know it. I talked it, but I didn't know it. I appreciated that word from him because it underscored the process of knowing our union with Christ. For years, I traveled around the country teaching people about our union with Christ. I would draw a few simple diagrams on the board, trying to give them something to hang on to so they could mentally see how things work. But after a while, I discovered this. Brain understanding is not spiritual understanding. That's difficult for people to grasp because Western civilization processes everything mentally. We try to comprehend it with the head and get the head to tell it to the heart instead of waiting for the Holy Spirit to tell it to the heart. If it's in the heart, we will know it. If it's in the head, we will know about it. It's easy to get a handle on all these union phrases and Christ in you clauses and get an outline all down pat and go around talking about it. But knowing about it is not the same as knowing. Everything we truly know of God comes by revelation of the Holy Spirit. Now, was that true in the Word? Yes. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. It's right there in the Word. The work of the Holy Spirit is revealed to us the reality of the mysteries of God. These are in the unseen and eternal realm as God's children. They are our right to know them, but only the Holy Spirit can tell us those realities. And until the Holy Spirit tells us, God's unseen and eternal realities seem to be outside of us. So we set out to gain information about them, thinking that if we gain enough information, we can then produce the spiritual life. Some of us have garnered entire libraries to help us gain the spiritual life, as if it were an outside thing, a thing to be gained by knowledge. Of course, what we ended up with was not much spiritual life, but lots of information about it. Unfortunately, there's no relationship between the amount of information we accumulate about the spiritual life and our ability to live it. But there is a direct correlation between the amount of information we gain and our level of frustration. It's frustrating to know something is there and not be able to lay hold of it. It always seems elusive, like the carrot dangling in front of you. And you keep chasing it, but can never grab it. In the things of the Spirit, no amount of know about will give us the ability to do. Our heart is for God, though. So the more we know about it, the greater our desire is to do it. And the more we try to do it. But trying to live the Christian life through our own effort is like trying to put a cube into a spherical hole. It doesn't fit. The only one who can live the Christian life is Christ. For those of you knowers... You have to hear that statement again for those of you who don't know yet. The only one who can live the Christian life is Christ. Now, where where does Christ dwell? In me. So, guess what? It's not you living in Christ. It's you living as Christ. As God on the earth? No, 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 no. You're not God on the earth. Try that. Try it with your wife. (laughs) Doesn't work very good. Oh, by the way, wise, tell him, because I said so, doesn't work very good either. We're not God to each other, but it's this. Christ is living his life in me and through me. 
for the sake of a lost world. So that he can express his love so that they can know him. Are you connecting? It's really important because that that understanding and that is the part of a process the more you lean into him the more you start to mature and understand that it's not about you becoming a better person it's having Christ live in you and it matures you you grow you gain by it you 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 move into something that is more than what's been identified as experiential Christianity, but as actually experiencing Christ. When Paul talked about it, he said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you're talking and interacting with unbelievers, you are actually expressing to them the hope of Christ's salvation as it's coming out of you. This is stunning. Now let's go to the next slide. The love of God, and once again, I struggled for the right words, and maturation. Because in actuality, how we experience God, and you're not going to like this because America doesn't have a theology for this, how you experience God is going to be tied to the things that you suffer in this life. I don't ever want to suffer. I'm a coward. I'm scared. I don't like to. I don't like standing when he says stand. When you've done everything to stand, stand there for. I don't like it. I want to sit down. I want to take a break. Sometimes I want to run away. Sometimes I want to hide. Sometimes I want to be totally alone. Sometimes I want to buy a brand new fat boy, throw my leg over it, and leave. Some of you know what a fat boy is. I'm not talking about a person. It's a motorcycle. Now, please, by the way, we'll, we'll connect this earlier, but this is Romans 5, 1 through 5, but we're just going to look at verse 5 because I want you to see something. So we'll start with verse 5. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. What's poured out in your heart? The love of God is. Why is it poured out? Well, it's at the core of my new being, verse 1. So a lot of, pe- a lot of people are going, why do you spend so much time on Romans 5.1? Now having been justified by faith. Because it's the sticking point. Actually, the kind of suffering that Paul was talking about in these first five verses was that if you believe you have been justified by faith, tribulation and trials and difficulty are going to come your way. But there's promises, new covenant promises that were given that. So if we go go to verse 1, and you can do that later, it says, now having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. See, if this is not the hallmark, the framework of which you grab a hold of faith and get your hands around that, you'll stay in immaturity because you keep going back to the same thing of trying to be right with God. The only way to grow in immaturity is to settle that issue. I'm right with God. It can't be taken away. It no longer shifts. It doesn't go away. I am justified by faith. And to justify is to be made right. You're in right standing with God. Maturity and immaturity, and I've, I've watched many in the body of Christ do this, they're stuck. They have arrested development. Because they think, and if you're here, you know, I'm, I'm bold enough to do this to you and maybe even step on your toes. 
but you are either right with God or you have a mountain against you. And you don't keep getting right with God. You are either right with God and it's sealed or you're not okay. Which is it? There's no fluctuation. Those are, well, I'm sort of right with him, but you know, I got these three issues in my life. Really, those three issues are bigger than him justifying you. How? Those three didn't count in the cross? As I say, because it's immaturity to keep going back and telling somebody, oh, you, better, you better go pray and get right with God. You're either right with God or you're not. That's not the reason to go pray. If you did something wrong, yes, run into his arms. He's already forgiven you. You don't have to renegotiate. Renegotiation is immaturity. You tracking with me? That's why I keep making that same point. So it's the core of my new being that I am declared justified as I become a believer. Trust becomes the foundation and the basis of living in God. Because what will happen is when I declare that very thing, other people are going to go, you're nuts. Or life will happen. Life will run into your very being of Jesus and I are just all right. And then life happens. And something tears a little bit at your faith. Something nibbles at it here, bites at it there, or something hits it with a two-by-four that levels you, and all you can do is lay on the bedroom floor and cry. It's both extremes, all extremes. I've known them, you've known them, we've experienced them. But here's what I know. Even when that Louisville slugger of life and this... The stings take me out. I have this hope in me. God is with me and he loves me. Only believers experience that. Only a believer can know that very thing. No matter how hard it is, God loves me. God loves me because he lives in me and he won't let go. No, he won't let go, and I experience God's love. Maybe, you know, and this is weird because you can't invite trials to experience God's love, but I tell you what, if you're in trials, you will, if you're a believer, I know this, you will experience God's love may not happen at a certain moment that you desire it to, but it will happen because that's the promise in God's word. That's the new covenant benefit that at the worst time in your life, God, through the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, will, sh- will shower you with his love. That's where it's tied to hope. Can you go to the next slide? But it makes this verse hard. And I just want to look at three reflections of rejoicing and suffering. Because here's the unfortunate aspect of creation living is we're going to suffer on this earth. Until it is fully redeemed, There's a promise from God. He said, you're you're going to suffer. You're going to experience trials. You're going to experience torments. Uh, In America, we really don't understand it about our faith because actually the the worst things that that have happened to me for believing is somebody called me a heretic because I didn't believe the way they did. Or I lost a friend out of it. And you go, it hurt. Betrayal really hurts, doesn't it? But compared to the other stuff of losing a loved one or going through this or going through that, temporary light afflictions. So what if they don't like me? I just have to be careful of not moving into judgmentalism and checking them off on my idiot box. Right? Are you tracking with me? 
they're an idiot. I won't talk to them again when I walk into Rice Chopper. Well, I'm not judgmental. I just don't want anything to do with that person. Here's three things that we learn through Romans 5, 1 through 5. God uses suffering to mature us in this way. Suffering validates who I am. Validates that I'm a believer. The very fact that I can experience suffering and not blow it off and not drink it away and not numb it with prescriptions but suffer through it validates that I'm a believer. I have entered into, if you, if you will, and there's tons of scriptures for this. I didn't put it in it. But we're actually invited to enter into the sufferings of Christ. Well, go to Isaiah 53 and see what they were. They were, they were foretold of what he would go through. Then read the Gospels and see the things that he went through. The other thing, how it matures us, is when I, when I go through really difficult things in life, it positions me to trust God with my heart. It positions me to trust him a little bit with the circumstances, but really with my heart as it goes through the circumstances. God, you got to, you know, it's this prayer. Have you prayed this? you got to take care of me right now. I'm about to lose it here. I don't think I can talk to one more person. So that moves us into a position where we're trusting our Savior who dwells in us. Now think about him as an aspect, you being his son or daughter. When your own children have come to you and needed you in that way, you go, no, you were naughty this afternoon. Maybe an hour from now, I'll... I'll put my arm around you, but not now. Really? When your kids run to you, what do you do? You do everything that you can to help them, protect them, and sometimes even that's not enough. It's the third thing it does. It always directs me into the hope of what I believe. This is why I keep trying to get you to engage on what you believe in. Do you know who you believe in and what's true about him and his life in you. It's so deeply important that you get that founded in your life and get knit and go, I am in union with Christ because that releases hope in your heart that you can hang on to. Here's the maturation. This incredible thing happens. Perseverance the ability to withstand and go through things, and character, who you are, what you know to be true about Christ in you, that you finally believe what he says about you. Your character are built. Things, simple things about your character, like knowing when to open your mouth and when to shut it, that can be with your character. Not just timing, but actually knowing, no, no, That one needs to stay inside because if I express that, that's going to damage a whole lot of other people. That's called character, goodness, long-suffering. So internal and external realities come face to face. They lead me to trust. Trust leads me to hope. Now here's the scary part. This is where the love of God comes in and why God pours out his love on anybody who's going through a trial. Hope makes me vulnerable. Human beings don't like to be vulnerable. That's why we get married. It's one of the reasons we get married. Because I don't trust the rest of you. And I am not going to be that vulnerable with you. You see, my, my dear wife, let me tell you, after, after 41 years, I trust her. I can be vulnerable with her. She's seen me at my highest of highs, and on my worst day, she was there, and she didn't quit. And she became Christ in her to me. 
because I really don't like being vulnerable. Uh, even in teaching this stuff and becoming a grace church, if you knew how awful it had been, <laughs> as well as how wonderful, and you have no idea, people always say to me, oh, you're so transparent. It's scary as hell to be that vulnerable. But we'll learn together, so I try to be. And I'm probably not as vulnerable as you think I am. (laughs) But, I don't know about you, I want a type of faith where we don't wear masks anymore. I was joking with somebody earlier during the break. They said, how you doing? I go, well, I'm not fine. (laughs) No, I have loved ones that are going through horrendous things. People I deeply care for. And it's affecting me. It's affecting my emotions. It's affecting my studying. It's affecting my other relationships. It's supposed to. Christ in me. It's supposed to. And so I feel very vulnerable. Go to the next slide. And this is what I found lately. Because I've had my own suffering lately. It's so weird. This was already laid out. I was going to teach this. Funny, you lay something out and then you get to experience a whole lot of things. So this wasn't like, oh, I'm experiencing this. Now let me teach it all to you. Uh Uh-uh. This was, I was going to teach this from a particular point of view, and God went, oh, really, Pee-wee? It's here, in that place of vulnerability, of suffering in life, where the love of God is poured out. This place of hope in the midst of pain and suffering. It is God's intention that our lives not be driven by fear or shame or self-reliance. Because when I feel vulnerable, those are my three go-tos. Shame, I don't want you to see me like this. Fear, how long is this going to last? And self-reliance, I'll get through this. And instead I have to go, no, God, I will hope in you. I will put all my hope, I'll put all the eggs in one basket. It's you, Christ. All my life is hidden in you. My life hidden in God, in Christ. Your life and my life hidden there. And that is an experience. And it's also a maturing that results from pain. Because when I experience pain, God's love is poured out on me. And it's hard to explain. And this is why believers, when they go through something horrendous, they go, I don't know how I'm getting through this, but I've never felt God's love more than I do right now. How does that work? It's something mysterious. It's the mystery of godliness that happens because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. His love is poured out in us. I've experienced God on my best days, and that's pretty good. But I've really experienced God on my worst days, and that's even better. That's even better. Because this is what I found. When I go through trials and tribulations, when you go through them, this is what the Spirit will do inside of you. God will be who He says He is to you. And He will love you. He will love you. We've got, uh, I'll just quickly put up two more slides. And then Michael, why don't you you and the team come up. Put up, this is from the message. (laughs) Sometimes I really like the message and then sometimes I go, what were you talking about? But this is one of those where I really like it. So it's James 1, verse 2. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open. 
and shows its true colors. So don't try and get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Why? I went, why, after I read that? Because you will share the love of Christ with others, both believers and unbelievers. You may not be able to do it in the moment, but you will because God as he pours out his love, will you, will push you out of your comfort zone because you'll run into somebody else who's going through some kind of horrible pain. If there's anything I know we have in common, it's pain. What we don't have in common is the love of Christ. So take that which you don't have in common and share it. And you can really look at under you know, and Sometimes the worst thing you say is, oh yeah, I understand what you're going through. No, you don't. Don't ever say that to anybody. You understand pain, but you don't understand what they're going through. But here's what you can say to them. I know that Jesus loves you right now with all of his heart. And that he will pour his love out on you. And share that. That's the uncommon thing that we have to give. That's why we can, that's why we want to mature so I can talk with somebody and share the love of God. Put up the one last slide, Carrie. We'll close with this. Just read this later, will you? This is about the love of God and what Paul saw that when they had to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit inside of themselves, it would be not so that they could benefit from the gifts not so that they could talk well to other people, not so that they could move in their anointing or their calling or anything, but so that they could know, not have knowledge of, so they could know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that they could understand the height, the width, the depth, the length of God's love. Growing up, is not getting yourself right with God over and over again. Growing up is moving into the knowing the love of God. That's growing up. Unfortunately, it comes a lot through suffering. I can't take that away and I won't soft sell it to you. But it will hard sell the love of God because it's what will help. Would you stand with me?